So this week we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer and in the Lord's Prayer upon the, the clause to not let us be tempted by evil. As you know, it's been pretty famous. It's been in the news recently. Even the Pope himself has said, we really need to change this verse around a little. Not that he really has the authority to change around the Bible, but we get his point. It's a hard verse to say, deliver us from evil. Do not let us fall into evil. Do not allow us to be tempted to God. But so many times through scripture, we see situations come up where God is just a little more complicated than we give him credit for, right? So last week, we went over uh, chapter 13 of the book of Judges, and we'll be in chapter 14 this week. But we will see complicated things there too. Because the way that God works for us and the way that God works in us and what he's working us into and creating us to be just might be a little more complicated than we've led on. There's a place in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 4 from verse 14, where it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, even as we are, and is yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray. Lord, our God and Father, as we open up your word, open up our hearts to receive it, Lord God. Purify us by your word. Wash us by your word. Instruct us and lead us. Temper us according to your great revelation of yourself in sacred scripture. And we thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when we talk about Jesus being tempted, it's a little awkward for us, right? Because we generally have the understanding of the historic church of what they call in the big theology books, the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. One person with two natures. Now that's interesting because we usually would naturally think he's either a really great man so much that he's become God or he's God just representing himself as a man but neither of those are the historic doctrine of the church. The historic doctrine of the church is fully God and fully man at the same time in the same place. So that the son of God is actually eternal. But, you know, how many months, how long is it till Christmas? We got like four months left? We're already thinking about it. We went into Hobby Lobby the other day. They already got the Christmas stuff out. We're getting ready, right? The kids, the first time they see a Santa Claus, they're like, oh, it's Christmas. I'm like, not yet, kids. <laughs> but it's exciting, right? That's the one day of the year that we celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus. But we have to remember, it's not the beginning of Jesus. It's the beginning of the manifestation of the eternal Son of God in human flesh. So his humanity started to exist on that day when he was conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of Mary. But his being his mind, his soul, his spirit, his godness never started, never began, and will never end, right? So this verse is here for a very specific purpose because when we come to it, the Apostle Paul's encouraging us like this. Hey, I know you're being tempted, all right? We're all tempted. Don't feel like the person that represents you before God, like he does not have any idea what you're going through. 
because he's been tempted in every way, the same way you are. And it says in every way. It's a heavy line, right? But without sin. Imagine being you (laughs) or me and being tempted in every way, but having never actually sinned. No matter what temptations come upon you, you never actually failed to it. That's Jesus. But it doesn't mean you don't know what other people are going through. So that's why this verse is here. He wants you to know, I know what you're going through. There's another place here that's necessary to the story just a few pages later in the book of James. In James chapter 1, from verse 13. Now, this is important for us to understand God's relationship to this whole thing because it would be pretty easy to read the Bible and think to ourselves, God is running around tempting people. In the beginning with Adam, he set up a tree. He said, you can eat of any of these trees, but don't eat of this one. It's kind of like a setup. It is actually a test, but it's not a temptation. Here in verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So God does establish a forum in which temptation can happen, but he doesn't tempt anybody. So who's the one who's really the cause of our temptations? Well, it's us, right? The devil, the flesh, and the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. But most of the time, the flesh. Now we can go to chapter 14 of Judges. Now, this is, of course, about a very famous guy named Samson. Most of us know the story, or at least enough about it to navigate it. And we know it because it's a cool story. It translates easily into action figures, (laughs) cartoons, like stories with other persons in it. Uh, You guys remember Rocky, right? Well, my kids hadn't seen Rocky. So yesterday we're sitting there and Christopher's asked me a few times, you know, and so we sit down and we watch Rocky. And Rocky, you guys know what Rocky's about as a movie? Who knows? What's it about? No. (laughs) No, I thought it was about boxing. There's only 10 minutes of boxing in the whole movie. The last 10 minutes. Maybe 15 but I'm like watching. I'm like, when are they going to box, you know? And the kids, and I'm having to skip scenes, you know? I'm a good parent. I'm skipping scenes and stuff like that. But the whole thing is about this guy, right? And he's trying to be a good guy, and he's, you know, involved in all this stuff, and he's, he's, he's like falling in love with the girl, that his, his brother's, his friend's sister that works in the pet shop, and he's like buying turtle food all the time, and it just goes on and on and on until the very end, like the last 15 minutes, Apparently, he gets in a fight, right? So is it really a boxing movie when literally 85% of it is not about boxing at all? So I was was thinking about that. But at the end, you finally get to the place where he's tested, right? And he's tested. His temptation is this because he declares it before he finally gets in the fight. What I want out of this, he already says, 
I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win. What I want is I want to go the distance so that I never have to feel like a bum again. It's about going the distance. It's about having the strength and the personal vigor to stand up against somebody that you know is going to knock the slop out of you, right? Not to win, but he's just going to do all 15 rounds. The guy said, I'll knock him out in three. He went all 15 rounds. And most of the time, he went through the rounds like this. The guy just punching him in the face round after round, and yet he weathered it, and he stood, and he kept going. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Well, thanks for letting me know. So Rocky was over, and you know how you feel after the end of Rocky, right? You feel strong. You would fight anybody after the end of Rocky. I would fight Mike Tyson himself if I had got to watch Rocky before I do it, because I know I've been trained, right? And guess what comes on next? Rocky 2. <laughs> so we watch that too. But Rocky 2 also doesn't have any boxing. It gets like to the end. But Rocky 2 is really about his opponent, Paulo Creed's pride and vanity. That even though he was this great champion and had beaten everybody and had won the last fight, the fact that people question whether or not Rocky could have beaten him, it gnaws at him. It gnaws at him and his pride and his vanity. And finally, against all of his counselors and the people that have been talking to him, he's like, no, I'm setting up a fight with him. I'm going to force him to fight me. I'm going to subject him to public humiliation so that he will come and fight me. He could have gone on to glory with his perfect record and all this stuff, but he just can't take the fact that anybody could have even come close to beating him. So there's a real moral play between these guys and what goes on there, right? As we get here, we see a, a, a kind of a paradigm of this in an ancient man and an ancient story who was what we would think of as a superhero a bit, right? These guys that we see today, like Flash and Superman and all this stuff, they draw all these stories from Scripture. Don't kid yourself. They're drawing them right out of here. There's a time when Elijah ran faster than all the armies and passed them all, and he was running at you know, uh, what we would think of as super speed. There's a time when there's a man that's so strong that he can bring down the pagan temples just by pushing them with his great strength. And there's a time in here when he gets in a personal fight one-on-one -on -one with a thousand men and he takes them all out. Now, these stories from Scripture, we've adopted them into our culture and society. We've twisted them into the shape we want them for. But what they're really about is the power of God when it comes upon a mere man, right? So every time we go see these movies, the Justice League, and whatever, when we see the Avengers, they're really taking something from Scripture. And if they take it carefully, they can even communicate something about God and about his righteousness. We read Psalm 10 today. We went through it and we said it together. We're just going through the Psalms. We started with Psalm 1. Now we're at Psalm 10. And as we're going through Psalm 10, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's kind of heavy, Right? He's talking about justice and the justice that God is going to bring. And whoever is writing that, maybe it's David, I don't remember reading who wrote it, but whoever is writing it is saying, they have oppressed me and they have wounded me. And God, I know you love justice and you will stick up for me. Now here we have a situation where the people of Israel have been oppressed by a major power. You have to remember that Israel, even at that time, was like this. And the Philistines were like this much more numerous, they had better armies, they had better training, they had better horses, they had better weapons, 
And they hated Israel. One reason they hated Israel is because they kept beating them. Because God and one righteous man, man is more than an army. He's more than an army. So we went over last week the birth of Samson, the miraculous birth, and we get to this. Samson went down to Timnah. And Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I got six kids. I got I to throw that out there. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman from among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you might go and take a wife from an uncircumcised Philistine? Now, what is the law? What is the rule here? You can't marry outside your people. It's the same law today. Your people are identified differently. At that time, the people were identified by the people of faith. Today, they are also identified by the people of faith. There's places in the New Testament where it also says, do not be unequally yoked, do not bind yourself together with a person outside of Christ. This is a rule that is perpetual, because how can you put together the world and Christ? And so we still marry within the faith, with somebody that shares with you the spiritual communion that you have with God. So you won't be like matter and antimatter blowing up the universe, right? Still today, a Christian is only to marry another Christian, right? And at this time, they're saying, hey, man, we've got a law. And this law is you marry within the faith. Now, here's the thing. Samson knows that it's a special situation. Look what it says next. In verse four, uh, in verse, the, to finish up verse three, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, that's the old language, but you know what that means, right? She was hot, right? <laughs> She's right in my eyes. <laughs> His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So this is what we get into when we say it's a little bit more complicated. God doesn't tempt anybody, but God is not above setting up circumstances for people that are being bad and doing bad things to fall into the, own, the, the pit that they themselves has dug. You remember that uh, proverb that talks about a person that digs a pit? What do you dig a pit for? For somebody to fall into it, right? And they fall into their own pit. So God is not tempting them. He's not doing anything bad to them. But if they have nefarious purposes that they're working out and oppressing his people Israel, he may set up circumstances for them to fall into their own pit. So that's why Samson is doing this. Now, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they, became, they came to the vineyards at Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring towards him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Let's always remember that anytime Samson does any great thing, it's always the spirit of the Lord and not merely Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. So God gave him such great power that even when a lion attacks him, how many of you have ever seen a lion up close and personal? It's an incredible event, right? We're talking about six, 700 pounds of meat-eating terror. Even when I'm at the zoo and I'm separated by about 30 yards of water and a path 
and they look at you because for whatever reason they have noticed you, they have this look in your eyes that makes you a hamburger, right? <laughs> They're just terrifying. I mean, still, one of the big causes of death in Africa is lion attacks, and you understand why. And if you guys ever see The Ghost in the Darkness, this other movie where it's all about, you know, these guys who are sent to hunt these lions because the lions have started hunting us, Right? And they're just a terrifying beast created by God for the purpose of taking stuff out. They're all teeth and claws, right? And he fights it barehanded and he rips it apart because the power of the Lord God has come upon him. After some days, he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Now, believe it or not, this is a temptation you remember the Nazarite vow? We read a little about it last week where there were certain things when a person was set apart specially to God, there were certain things that they were never to do, that were never to be done, that were never to be touched. There were three things to that. One of them was you were never to touch anything dead, right? Another was you were never allowed to drink any fruit of the vine, especially an alcoholic beverage. Another was that no razor was ever to touch his head. He was never to be shaved or had his hair cut. I know some of you are thinking, well, how long did it get? It doesn't say, but it was long. And I've heard a, a phrase here in the South, if there's hair on your ears, there's sin in your heart. I did not know that. <laughs> he scraped out onto his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some and they ate. But he did not tell them he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. Now the kind of feast it is, it's a timna in the original languages. It implies a feast that was a bit of a wild party. And it implies that alcoholic beverages and other things were drank there. For so the young men used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, now, so these are all the Philistines. These are not his people, the holy people of Israel. He's in among the Philistines now. Let me make a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linens, linens of garments and 30 changes of clothes. In other words, he'll shower them with these expensive gifts. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle out that we may hear it. And he said to them. So again, there's this situation of allowing them to fall into the pit. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. That's the whole riddle. They're supposed to figure out what it means. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. But now it all gets complicated. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, go and entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You don't love me. You've put a riddle to my people and you've not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I've not even told my father and my mother, and shall I tell you? And she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her. Who do you think she told? Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what's sweeter than honey? 
And what's stronger than a lion? Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, all through these chapters we're going through, Samson has trouble with the ladies. He's always getting in trouble. That's not his strong spot. We'll just say it like that. That's not his strong spot. And he said to them, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs> if I were to say something like that, Denny would punch me right in the mouth. <laughs> but he is Samson. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon. And he struck down 30 men of the town. He struck down 30 Philistines. And he took their clothes and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. The story goes on from there, but what we see is a digression where this man who was raised to be the prophet of Israel, to be the deliverer of Israel, to tell them the law and the judgments falls into one thing after another because of anger, because of lust, because of pride and vanity. It only gets more complicated from here. But you guys remember the last lady in the story, right? Delilah. By the time we get there, you're going to have seen a lot of muck and gravel in the human soul. I'm telling you. At the same time, we can learn things from him. One of the things that we learn from this is that our God does not ever abandon us. There comes a time in Samson's life where he is allowed to fall into disrepair. And there's another time in his life where he is allowed to fall under the hands of the might of the Philistines and they make him suffer because God had given him greatness and power and authority and he had traded it in for his own appetites. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned him. By the end of the story, we see that God never took his hand off Samson, never. And we also see in the book of Hebrews that he's actually placed in the lineage of some of the greatest people of the faith because even when he went through all these things, he never gave up on the God that never gave up on him. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's pray. Lord our God, you are so good to your people. You've given us your word as a light in a dark place to shine in our souls your truth. We pray that you would give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it and that you would open us up to these things. That you've given us great men like this as an example so that we can learn from them, so that we can learn to be like them, and so also learn to not be like them. We thank you for all of these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please rise as we sing a song. Number 431. He leadeth me.
Just as an update on things and a reminder, the women's Bible study is this Tuesday. They have one at 1030 in the morning here for those that can make it, but also another at 630 in the evening. Now, as you know, it's hard to meet people on Sunday morning. It's supposed to be the best time for it, but it's really the worst time for it because everybody's got to go and everybody's got to get to lunch and all this other stuff. So please do take time to meet somebody new before you leave the building today, but also avail yourselves of the ministries of the week. Also on Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, there's a men's breakfast that meets here in the fellowship hall. Also, there's a Wednesday evening uh, fellowship that has dinner and things for the kids and all kinds of games and, and fun. On Thursday, there's a Bible study at 6.30 here in this room that goes through a little bit higher level theology. But on Thursday from 1 o'clock p.m. until 5 p.m., we have a homeschooling group that just started again this last Thursday. Now, we expected to have about 50 to 60 kids this last time. We had 80. So it's been a lot. So if any of you are interested and have the time and opportunity to come over here at that time of the day and help out with the kids, that would be awesome. We would love that. Is there anything I'm missing, guys? Things coming up, things that need to be known or... The fellowship meal is next Sunday. That'll be hosted by the deacons, so they'll be bringing the meat, and you guys bring everything else. So bring whatever you like. I'm sure I'll like it too, right? (laughs) Also, you know, uh, coming up in October, at the end of October, we have a big festival. We invited the whole neighborhood last year. We had about 300 people. Things being as they are, we'll probably have more this time. So we will need everybody to, like, sign up and come that night to just help facilitate and make sure the building's still here when it's all over. Look up, Christian, and receive the blessing of God. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you peace. Amen.